So Tanny and Herb took their intro with them, and the network hasn't given me my intro yet. So here's a placeholder. You are locked on the Chicago White Sox. Your daily White Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Socks. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Locked On Socks. You can send us an email at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com, or you can send a voicemail into 312-566-8727. That's 312-566-8727. I'm Sean Anderson. I'm the new host of Locked On Socks. Welcome to my version of Locked On Socks. If it is your first time here, thank you for checking us out. If this is your first listen every day, thank you for making Locked On White Sox your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. You know, so I got a podcast now, right? You know, I filled in for Tanny and Herb before during the All-Star break. I was with my guy Mike Rankin of Future Sox and of 670 The Score. I am a part-time producer at 670 The Score. You can hear me producing the live Bulls games and Cubs games that are on our airwaves. And I produce various weeknight shows from here to there right now. And during baseball season, I am the executive producer of Matt Spiegel's Hit and Run, which airs 9 a.m. to noon. My first day at the score was a very, very painful Bears Monday for Bears fans. It was after Cody Parkey's double doink. I started as a promotions assistant there. And then in May of 2019, I was promoted to producer. And it's been a lot of fun being there. And I'm excited to continue working there while adding this to my plate. I have had, you know, I have a decent amount of free time and I have a lot of love for the White Sox. So I'm very excited to be able to be talking to you. On today's episode, you will learn a little bit more about me and my White Sox fandom. You will also know kind of what I'm thinking for the show, what what, what you can expect from Lockdown White Sox. You're also going to hear about six new Hall of Famers that will be added to Cooperstown this year. Some White Sox alum are uh, in this list that we have of six new Hall of Famers. And then finally, we have a small little mailbag. Uh, There's some emails that I can get to. I want to hold off on some voicemails. I think I have some, I think I have about like three voicemails already waiting for me, but I want to get a chance for people to hear me, maybe give me some reviews, some feedback. I'd love it. 312-566-8727. Feel free to send those in, and I will do a little bit of a a voicemail mailbag uh, tomorrow. So excited to do that. Ask me any White Sox questions. Ask me any lockout questions. Ask me any personal questions. We can make it a little bit of an AMA, ask me anything, uh, so you guys can learn a little bit more about me. Uh, I'm a White Sox fan, and I have been probably since about 2004. I started my life, unfortunately, as a Cubs fan. My favorite color still is the color blue. My dad... Uh, once noted to me that I used to only color in blue crayons, so cerulean, indigo, blue. I was a freak uh, about the color blue, and it led me down the path of being a Cubs fan. I am going to be open and honest with you on this podcast. I am trying to make this be White Sox therapy. We all have our scars. We all have our dark past, and a Cub fandom is in there. And I think it started to wane when... Nice little voice crack. I think it started to wane on May 24th, 2004, when my favorite player, number 21, Sammy Sosa, 
He was cool because he had an S first name, Sammy, Sean. He wore the number 21. My birthday is August 21st. And he was also just the coolest player in Chicago. I mean, three seasons of 60-plus home runs. He was an electric player to a, a young child like me. But on May 24th, he had the cork bat incident. And I remember really being off-put by that, that Sammy Sosa was a cheater. And I really didn't have a, a, a family that could inform me on baseball. Right, looking back on, on Sammy Sosa, I, I think I can forgive Sammy Sosa. He's basically PED-wise in the same boat as David Ortiz. They were both only named on that one single report. And there's a great YouTuber, uh, Foolish Baseball, and on his second channel, Foolish Bailey, he made the great point of, you know, if you're going to vote for Barry Bonds to make it in the Hall of Fame, you have to vote for Roger Clemens because they're basically in the same boat. And if you vote for those two, you're likely going to vote for Gary Sheffield because they're in the same boat. And he also made the point, too, that David Ortiz and Sammy Sosa are linked. Sammy Sosa has more career home runs than David Ortiz. He has a more impressive career than David Ortiz, in my opinion. And I think Sammy Sosa deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But at the time, in 2004, my family, and I was living with my mom and my grandparents in Oaklawn, and my grandparents were born in Ireland. My mom was born in Ireland. My dad really taught me baseball and took me to a lot of my formative games. But being with my Irish family, they couldn't explain to me what a corked bat was. I had to really base it off of what this seven-year-old brain knew. I thought he was just a cheater. It seemed like he was just corking his bat to gain an advantage. I didn't know. I don't think it really affected Sammy Sosa's career, whether he was going to be using a corked bat or not. I think if he was using a regular bat, he probably would have slugged 550 home runs no matter what. However, that then lead me to examine other options. And my first White Sox game was in July 2004. And I just, you know, putting together the show, connected those dots that that White Sox experience was after that Sammy Sosa game. And I was a little bit weakened in my Cubs fandom. And I was around my dad's side at that White Sox game. And of course, our guys in black, the good guys on the South side, they lost that game 12 to nothing. They got smoked by the Los Angeles Angels. Jose Guillen hit two home runs. Garrett Anderson hit a home run in that game. I remember being cold. I hated being up high in the upper deck. It's such a jaunting and I don't know if it's jaunting. Jarring? Maybe jarring. Jarring experience being up there, especially as a kid with a fear of heights. Maybe my fear of height is connected to July 7th, 2004 at that White Sox game. I was there with my family. I was there with my cousins. And I think that was a very formative experience that after the Cubs deflated after 2004, I switched my alliance. And then in 2005, I don't know if you guys heard, Don't Stop Believing came very popular in the Chicagoland area. And we started winning a bunch of baseball games, like a, like a lot, like 11 out of 12. And it was, it was pretty sick. As a third grader to have a team win a championship, that about cemented my lifelong fandom to the White Sox. You don't have to worry about me flipping. I went through 2016. I braved it very strongly. I am not a Cubs fan, I'm proud to say. And I am here to be a White Sox fan for the rest of my life. And I'm very excited to be the new host of Lockdown Sox. I really loved baseball as a child. I would sit in that same Irish grandparents' house basement and I just stand by the edge of the fireplace and face out towards the kitchen, and I just hit baseballs all day, 
up into the kitchen over and over and over and over and over. And I'm doing it to be repetitive and over and over and annoying and annoying and annoying. And I would just watch baseball tonight. And I really connected strongly to baseball as an only child. I just needed time to kill. And baseball is the best sport to just kill time to. But then in grammar school, about eighth grade, online video gaming became very popular and playing Call of Duty and playing video games in general became more of my thing. And I fell out of love with baseball. I, I, I stopped playing baseball. I stopped paying attention year by year. Um, the White Sox weren't good, so that kind of made it a little bit easier. I still regret not trying out for my high school team. I know it's sad and pathetic and I already have a college degree, but it's the truth. I have to be honest with you here at White Sox Therapy. 2019, when the Sox became good again, I started paying attention to every single game. 2020, same exact thing. And also that came with the job territory. 2019, I had to grow up. I had to become a sports producer and paying attention to sports uh, just became more of a job and a lifestyle. Before we wrap this up and we get to the Hall of Fame stuff, I have to share the the best moment of my White Sox uh, life. And it's a game with my dad. And like I said, most of my big games were with my dad. First Cubs game, first baseball game, first White Sox game. And on July 23rd, 2009, my dad picks me up from Brother Ice shooting camp, I think it was, or Brother Ice basketball camp, whatever it was. He picks me up. He says, do you want to go to the game today? And I said, sure, but I have no clothes. And he said, who cares? So I show up in a maroon shirt and maroon track pants. I'm looking fly as hell. I roll up with my dad and his friend Jimmy, and we're walking from the right field to left field, and we look up at the scoreboard, and there's already a frame through because it's Mark Burley. The game started on time, and he got through those first three batters fairly quickly. And I look up at the scoreboard, and I see there's no runs, no hits, and no errors, and I jokingly say to my dad, we're going to see a perfect game today. About... Six frames later in the seventh inning, I'm hyperventilating into a Dippin' Dots bag because Mark Burley's perfect game is now in the seventh inning. The buzz of a perfect game is very uh, tough to explain besides hyperventilating into a Dippin' Dots bag. And it, it was such a euphoric experience to hear the crowd get up when Dwayne Wise, which was right in front of my section, I was 151, row 17, I think seats like one, two, and three. You see Dwayne go up, you hear the crowd just start cheering up, you hear Dwayne go down, you hear the, the crowd go down, you hear the crowd fall hush, and then you hear Dwayne stand back up and the place erupts. And I, I, I will never forget that moment. And I think we all have those moments in White Sox history and our White Sox fandom where being in our now unfortunately named stadium gave you some sense of community. The White Sox in my lifetime might not have won a lot and probably in your lifetime as well, just knowing that last year was the first time this franchise has ever gone to back-to-back playoffs. That's why I think this could be White Sox therapy for people. It could be a White Sox therapy for me. It could be a White Sox therapy for you. And that's why we want you to participate. LockedOnSox at gmail.com, 312-566-8727. Next up on Locked On Sox, we will be talking about the six new Hall of Famers that will be added to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown this year. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar. Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered with chocolate. 
but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat. And they're high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. I know Lockdown Socks listeners know Built Bar from Tanny and Herb's relationship with them. I know I know Built Bar from my relationship with Tanny and Herb. I show up to work at the 670 The Score Studios, and in every drawer, there's probably a loose Built Bar. I know Tanny and Herb were always bringing Built Bars around. I've seen every flavor, raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie. Tanny wouldn't stop talking about his favorite flavor, the German chocolate cake, because it gave him the extra fuel he needed to get through the day. So this holiday season, stock your stuffings with a few Built Bars. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Again, Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Thanks for making Lockdown White Sox your first listen every day. I'm Sean Anderson. On Sunday, I sat down, was a little bit worried I wasn't going to be able to watch the MLB Network coverage of the early baseball era committee vote and golden era committee vote announcement. And thankfully... And I don't, we don't like to give MLB credit here a lot. We, we don't like the owners. We don't like the league. They're currently in a lockout because of owners and a bad commissioner. But I do have to give them credit. I don't have cable. So thankfully, MLB was streaming on MLB.com the MLB network and the announcement of these uh, committee votes. And I'm very uh, uh, thankful for that. So I want to give a shout out to the MLB for doing something right. Uh, And just to explain the early baseball era committee vote, it's a 16-member committee, some names on there like Ozzie Smith, Joe Torre, Bud Selig, you know, former, you know, big baseball people, Hall of Famers. They're voting on these 10-member ballots. The early baseball era has its own ballot and the golden era committee has its own ballot. There's 10 players on each ballot. The golden era ballot consists of players who played from 1950 to 1969 It's not a hard cutoff. You just had to make your debut in that window or at least have some playing career intersect in that window, right? Like Dick Allen, we'll use him as an example. Uh, He was the 1972 MVP, but he made his debut before 1969. Therefore, he's on this, this ballot. Cool? All right. So the players that were on this ballot, Dick Allen, who had three years of White Sox experience, Jim Cott, who had three years of White Sox experience, And two players who have their number retired by the franchise, Minnie Mignoso, who had 12 years of White Sox experience, and Billy Pierce, who had 13 years of experience as a White Sox. Also on the Golden Days ballot was Maury Wills, Tony Oliva, Danny Murtaugh, Roger Maris, Gil Hodges, and Ken Boyer. In the early baseball era ballot, there were 10 players, Bud Fowler, Grant Home Run Johnson, George Tubby Scales, Dick Cannonball Redding, Vic Vicious Harris, John Donaldson, John Jordan Buck O'Neill, Bill Darlene, Lefty O'Doul, and Ollie Reynolds. So those were the candidates that the 16-member committee were picking from to choose to be Hall of Famers. And around, you know, 5.30, the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame comes up to the podium and first announces the players off the Golden Days ballot that will be making it into the Hall of Fame. He first starts off with Gil Hodges, player and also the manager of the 1969 Miracle Mets. Then he goes to longtime pitcher Jim Cott. 
Jim Cott had three years of White Sox experience. He was a one-time uh, All-Star as a White Sox. He was fourth in Cy Young voting in 1975 as a Southsider, and he also won three Gold Gloves. He won 16 straight. Isn't that crazy? He also said uh, some rough comments about uh, Yoan Moncada during Game Two of the uh, ALDS this year. I wear a jersey number ten. It says Mon Garbage. Oh, that's that was not Jim Cott. That was that was Michael in Bridgeport. Sorry to to Jim Cott. He said something much worse and and much uh, more uh, racist. And then the moment that a lot of people were waiting for, I know Chris Kampka was waiting for this moment and has been waiting for a long time. This person uh, themselves have been waiting a long time, and unfortunately, uh, they've passed away and will not uh, be here to receive this honor. But Mitty Mignoso is now a Hall of Famer. The 12-year White Sox veteran is now going to be forever immortalized in Cooperstown. He was a six-time All-Star as a White Sox player. He finished fourth in MVP voting three different times as a White Sox player in 1951, in 1953, and 1954. In White Sox history, he's fifth all-time in war. He's 11th in games played, and he is tied for eighth in OPS. And the player that he's tied with once said this about him per La Vida Baseball. I will never forget the day that I met Minnie. As a part of his valuable guidance, Minoso gave me three keys to have success at this level. Discipline, punctuality, and hard work. Jose Abreu is saying that, and he's tied all-time at eighth in OPS, on-place plus slugging, with this now Hall of Famer, Minnie Minoso. So Minnie has always had a long-standing effect on this franchise. He played in five different decades as a player, and the last one coming in 1980. But even then, and, and even now, he's still having a current effect on this White Sox team. He was the probably the most important White Sox player on the Golden Days ballot. I don't know if he was the most deserving statistical-wise. I, I think Dick Allen probably has a more impressive baseball career and a, and a more impressive resume to be a Hall of Famer, but Minnie's impact on the game as a Cuban player and Minnie's impact on the game uh, as a White Sox for 12 years, I, I think probably means more that he's getting in. I think he represents the White Sox more uh, than probably any other player on this list can, especially now. You look at all the Cuban re- representation on this team right now, Grendel, we mentioned Abreu, Mancada, Robert, you even see it in the minor leagues right now, Norge Vera, and you also have Oscar Colas, and you have Cespedes as well. I mean, the, the Cuban lines run deep in the White Sox organization, and, and it all started with Mini Mignoso. So a, a huge, huge addition to the Hall of Fame with Mini Mignoso for the White Sox and for his career. It's It should be forever immortalized, and it's great news hearing that he will be in Cooperstown from here on out. Finally, the last player on the Golden Days ballot that made the Hall of Fame is Tony Oliva, longtime twin. He played there for 15 years. Off the early baseball era, we had Bud Fowler, who is recognized as the first pro-black player ever uh, being elected into the Hall of Fame. So congratulations to Bud Fowler. And also being added, and and he's a Chicago legend in his own right, John Jordan Buck O'Neill. He made his playing days in Kansas City. He's very connected to that city and the Negro League Museum. He's unfortunately passed away, but Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum, who we've had on the score, and he was on MLB Network, talked about Buck O'Neill and how much he loved and appreciated the Negro League Museum and was a part of Kansas City. But he was also a part of Chicago baseball legend. He was the first ever 
black scout in Major League history, and he actually brought Ernie Banks to the Cubs, which I thought was phenomenal. And Harold Reynolds told a Buck O'Neill story that I thought was cool, and I'll share with you now before we move on to some podcast news, and then we'll move on to a mailbag segment at the end, is Buck O'Neill as a scout, he remembers hearing Babe Ruth's bat crack and and, and the sound of Babe Ruth hitting a baseball and what that sounded like. And then him going and hearing Josh Gibson and how it's basically the same sound, how both of those players, these great, massive power hitters, were making the same sound with their bat and how it's only unique to those two players, Babe Ruth and Josh Gibson. And then he's at Yankee Stadium. He's watching a Royals game in the 80s. He's walking up and he hears that, that familiar sound. And it's Bo Jackson. So... You know, Bo Jackson just is always going to be coming up in amazing athletic feats. And, and even if it's from people who have been watching baseball since the 20s, they're always impressed by Bo Jackson. I'm not even from the 80s. I was born in 1997. And Bo Jackson is, is probably the coolest athlete of all time. And Buck O'Neill thought so, too, is what I took away from that. Those are the six new Hall of Famers that will be enshrined into Cooperstown in 2022. In January, there is still the baseball writers vote that is out there. That's for the players that are uh, 10 years uh, out from being retired. So, right, that's how Derek Jeter got voted in. That's how Larry Walker got voted in. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens' final year on the ballot. And also, it's the second year for Mark Burley. I am a proud supporter of hashtag bust for Burley. I think Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer. I can now share this with you on my podcast platform and with a lockout, I think I might do so. So hopefully we will get into that a little bit into December. And I'm excited to share with you why I think Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer. Next on Lockdown Socks, I answer your mailbag questions. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar. Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered with chocolate but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat. And they're high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. I know Lockdown Socks listeners know Built Bar from Tanny and Herb's relationship with them. I know I know Built Bar from my relationship with Tanny and Herb. I show up to work at the 670 The Score Studios, and in every drawer there's probably a loose Built Bar. I know Tanny and Herb were always bringing Built Bars around. I've seen every flavor, raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie. Tanny wouldn't stop talking about his favorite flavor, the German chocolate cake, because it gave him the extra fuel he needed to get through the day. So this holiday season, stock your stuffings with a few Built Bars. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Again, Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Tanny took the mailbag open, so this is the mailbag open. Back here on Locked on Socks, you can write into the mailbag at lockedonsocks at gmail.com. That's what I'll be reading today. Or you can call in at 312-566-8727. I'm going to be doing a voicemail episode tomorrow, so call in. Tonight, while you're listening, you, right now, on your little phone, you can hang up, you can stop listening to the podcast once this is over. There's only like five minutes left, maybe. Maybe I'll ramble to six. Once this is over, call me up. Ask me anything. Hit me up. I want to tell you about me. I want to tell you about what I think of this podcast. I'll tell you something real quick. I listened to the the, uh, Lockdown Socks 150 times. 
during 2021. This was my favorite podcast. And I know the the gap that I'm replacing in Tanny and Herb. And I know that they're going to fill that gap uh, themselves with themselves, uh, with their own White Sox content that they will be creating. But at least in the Lockdown Sox verse, um, this is a big hole to fill. And I know that they were always here bringing uh, their dynamic friendship and White Sox knowledge to you. And I hope that I'm able to bring my own dynamic White Sox knowledge to you. And I'm very excited to be doing that. And hopefully you can get to know me with tomorrow's mailbag. Again, 312-566-8727. First, we're going to go to the mailbag and we're going to answer a message from Greg. And Greg said, hey, Sean, glad to hear you'll be taking over the podcast. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the upcoming season, whenever that is, and the future moves the White Sox have in the works. Don't understand the hate for Leary Garcia signing. Leary stepped in when other starters were down and played better than other replacement level dudes. His return was obvious and inevitable. We need Leary and I'm sure more moves are coming. Best of luck, Sean, and I'll be listening for sure. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate the letter. And I'm I'm ultimately okay with the Leary signing. I look at him, 5.5 million is fairly you know, it's 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 a good market value. I mean, I'm I'm not upset that they're paying that much. I don't think it was an overpay. You look at what Chris Taylor got. I think that was a lot of money, and I understand people were comparing that move to Leary move. And I, I just Leary is safe. He's comfortable. He's cheap. And I think the Sox see him as a player that they can move on from if one of these players step up and and prove something. If Andrew Vaughn is pushing Leary Garcia out of the lineup every day, I, I, the White Sox, I don't think, will have an issue cutting that $5.5 million contract off the off the books. If Jake Berger comes up and shows that he can play second base, I think the same thing. I think Leary is here because he is trusted and relied upon, but he's also cheap because they can move on from him cheaper than they moved away from Adam Eaton. I, I, I think that the Sox really made a safe but smart signing bringing back Leary Garcia. And you know, that game three homer was huge, but he was consistently showing up throughout the season in spurts, in, in his Leary spurts. You shouldn't expect consistent performance out of Leary Garcia, but you can consistently expect him to be all right. I mean, he's not going to blow you away. We know he didn't right field in game two, I think it was defensively, but he is passable in, in a lot of circumstances. So I'm with you, Greg. I, I'm fine with the signing, but I am very anxious for when the lockout ends to see what moves they make. I, I'm sitting in the boat that I think the White Sox are handicapped by their budget, but I also want them to be more aggressive with their budget. I understand that maybe $325 for Corey Seager, $325 million, sorry, 325 uh, is more of my ballpark, uh, but $325 million is for Corey Seager isn't in the White Sox payroll. I don't think it should be, but... It's just not in their payroll, and that's fine. But when guys like Robbie Ray and Kevin Gossman are going and the White Sox aren't even linked to them in rumors, that's where I start to worry. I think this team is waiting for something to happen, and that's why I think a lot of White Sox fans' moves or, or minds are going to the idea of them bringing back Carlos Rodon. It seems very quiet on the whole Carlos Rodon front, and it seems like the White Sox are just in general, before the lockout, were being really quiet. So... I'm interested in them being louder uh, on the free agent market. Also, Ian wrote in with a somewhat similar question about why we aren't seeing movement from Han. I am annoyed by it, but I, I do think there's a reason for it. We'll see what happens after the lockdown. So thank you, Greg and Ian, for writing in to LockdownSocks at gmail.com. Next up, we have Adam. He says, hey, Sean, congratulations on the gig. Thank you, Adam. 
Just wanted to hear about your favorite White Sox moment of 2005. He also asked about my favorite player, uh, that is Burley, and obviously, you know, he's on the 2005 team, so love him. But I think my favorite moment of the Sox season was the Scotty Pods walk-off. Scott Putsednik is probably my favorite position player of that that team. I understand Paulie is, uh, you know, a more notable uh, player, but... Scotty Pods racing him up in the fundamentals deck, beating his ass all the time in the fundamentals deck. That was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with Scotty Pods. And he, you know, that that home run, I didn't expect it. No one expected it. And the left-handed swing is so sweet. Who doesn't love Scotty Pods? Come on, he's the best. So uh, I would say Scotty Pods walk off in, uh, in game one was my favorite moment of the 2005 World Series team. Next person writing in is Alexander. He submitted an off-season proposal, and it basically sums up to acquiring Kike Hernandez, acquiring James McCann, moving Grandal to everyday DH, re-signing Billy Hamilton, signing Michael Conforto, re-signing Tapera, and signing Clayton Kershaw as a starting pitcher. I will just say this, at least uh, to your off-season proposal, Alexander, uh, the McCann idea, I would, I would, I would really dislike. He was really bad in New York. He's 31 years old. He kind of was a blip on the radar for the White Sox in 2019 and 2020. I, I don't, I not really expect him to produce like that. He's a career hitter, OPS plus of 85, and with the White Sox, he hit 108 and 143. I, I don't think that he would be able to reproduce like he did in 2019 and 2020. I, I don't think he'd be able to live up to that end of the bargain. So I don't really like that. I think we need a cheaper option as backup catcher. And I'm not too worried about Grandall, mainly just because, at least for the White Sox sake, he's got two years left. And if something, you know, if a catastrophe happens and he's he gets hurt playing catcher this year and he's out of the lineup for a, a long time, that would be a huge blow. But you're paying $72 million for him to be a catcher. And his skills behind there haven't really declined that much. And after he came back from his injury, I didn't see him struggle that much as catcher. So I, I don't really think that we should move Grandall away from full-time catching duties. We have a lot of bats that can be playing at DH. Vaughn can play there. Sheets can play there. Abreu uh, can play there. Eloy can play there. I, I think that we really need that catcher spot to be taken up by Grandall. And this team is really made special by Grandall at catcher. He's one of the best offensive catchers in the league and in moving him away from that, I think would just damage this team. This, this team needs to figure out the DH situation. Uh, and I know we've said that before, but I don't think moving Grandall would, would fix that situation. And finally, Josh wrote in and he had a nice message. And this is where I'll wrap up and say some thank yous. He said, Hey, Sean Anderson, Josh Bear here, longtime listener to Lockdown Sox. I'm a huge Sox fan. It's 110 on Friday morning. I just heard the news. Love Tanny and her, but I'm sure you'll do great. Looking forward to listening you take over the reins. Good luck, bub, which is, that's cute. I like that, Josh. And go Sox. Go Sox indeed. And I do want to thank Tanny and Herb for putting me in this situation and also for being my favorite podcast of 2021. I listened to about 115 episodes, something like that, over 3,000 minutes of Locked on Sox in 2021. I know what I'm replacing and, and how good Tanny and Herb were. And I, I hope to bring that same knowledge, passion, and information to you on a daily basis. 
Tani and Herb built something wonderful, and I truly hope to continue to make it wonderful and bring you the best podcast and the best White Sox podcast out there. And I know that I'm a part of a wonderful White Sox community as well. There are so many wonderful people out there uh, that share this fandom. There's so many people out there that create great content for this fandom. Uh, A lot of great people on White Sox Twitter. I'm very excited to be a part of this community, and I'm very excited for you to hear me be a part of this community. Uh, This is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for me, and I hope to bring you the best White Sox knowledge every single day. I'm very excited to talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for making Lockdown White Sox your first listen every day. Tomorrow, we'll be doing a voicemail mailbag. Call in 312-566-8727. I thought I forgot the the, the phone number there for a second. 312-566-8727. Give me those voicemails. We'll do every single segment of voicemails. I don't care. Ask me anything. Hit me up. And make your second listen Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for your gambling needs. Locked on Bets. Hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms.